0: Listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast, your weekly look into what's happening in the untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle.
1: And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Before we go any further, we're going to do this one more time. We just want to give you a heads up that this week's episode is being pre-recorded as I, Tim, will be heading out of the country for a couple weeks. And we won't be able to record our uh, shows in our regularly scheduled weekly fashion. So our apologies if this show is a little shorter or not as timely with the uh, information we will be talking about. Uh, This is actually the last pre-recorded show we will be doing, and we will be back to our standard weekly recording schedule in November. So thanks for your understanding. And now that that's out of the way, let's get something to drink.
0: And I guess we're getting fancy again, Tim. Uh, What do we we have today?
1: Well, we decided after two shows of being in sync to kind of go our separate ways here and I can't imagine we could go much more separate than we've decided to today Uh, I actually have been holding on to this bottle for a while I don't know when I got it but I'm finally decided to crack it open because again trying to switch things up I actually have with me careful with
0: that passion fruit Eugene by Beachwood blendery right, a passion fruit beer I mean uh, we have the Cerebral uh, passion fruit IPA which is pretty good. I enjoyed that, uh, but this is not an IPA. Hey, ch- hold on! I have to flip the card over on the wall for the days since you've had an IPA.
1: <laughs> that will switch back soon, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the first time it's ever gotten past zero.
0: Yeah, I finally we can reset this. It's like you know those ones that they have on in the um, the warehouse, the warehouse yeah. where it's like so it's, uh, you know days <laughs> since you've had an accident. <laughs> uh, Boy, I, I shouldn't laugh about that, but it's, maybe we should sell that in our store, store.untap.com.
1: Days since, a uh, little flip over sign, days since
0: last IPA. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah, yeah. But it's always like zero. Yeah. You like can't there's no that. other, we don't sell any other numbers. For <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: amazing. Um, this one's actually a lambic fruit, so a fruit lambic. It's at 6.5% ABV, and it's coming in this really colorful, really beautiful bottle. I think this is a five. Yeah, this is a 500 milliliter. Um, it's got that super colorful, sort of like geometric patterned uh, label uh, with the big old block letters that saying, the careful with the passion fruit, Eugene." I'm pretty excited to try this. Uh, it's, uh, let's see, really quick, some, uh, some write-up about it. it. It's the first of uh, their Lambic-inspired fruited series. Um, in this case, we took a blend of nine to 14-month-old barrels, added passion fruit for one month, and bottle conditioned with wine yeast for three months. Wowza. The passion fruit shines through and combines perfectly with the flavors and acidity from the original blend. They say it's fruity, funky, sour. This beer could be dangerous in the wrong hands. It sounds
0: really good. I don't think I've had any of the series, uh, but if you've seen it, you know, on the shelves in Whole Foods or wherever, wherever your bottle shop is, um, it's unmistakable. And I've liked what the uh, Beachwood Blendery has put together so far. So I don't,
1: I, and I'm, I feel like this is just going to be a growing trend and I'm going to check things before I regret them from now on. Um, I'm not sure what I've had from the Blendery. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, let's see. Let's roll back the tape on uh, Umeboshi Sour. That was one. That, oh, was that uh, at from least the? On this show, uh, I that was ha- got to have. Um, but otherwise, y- yeah, it, it, the Blendery. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Beachwood Blendery, because I do, I do know you follow me um, on the social medias. Uh, I think it's a pretty recent edition. To Beechwood, um, at least the last three, maybe four years, yeah. I, um, but but prior to that, it was just you know Beechwood running their uh, very hop forward beverages.
1: They were added, um, in October of 2015, actually. Ooh, look at that! R- right on the money. Um, so I have had one yep. other Beachwood Blendery uh, come in grape. Your time is up. It was an American Wild Ale. That sounds
0: pretty good. Would you rate that one?
1: uh that one was a four 3.5
0: you're less on the sour uh side of things you know lambics and things like that so um i i think this is probably a good introduction good good way to kind of uh, maybe ease your way into some european beers some some sort of like you know french belgian
1: Yes, exactly. As I prepare to go enjoy all that, that sounds right on the money. So enough about mine. What
0: do you got? Um, I've got Omnipolo's Aeon, uh, formerly actually known as Noah. And there's a little bit of a story behind that. I'll I'll let you know about that in just a sec. But this is an imperial stout with natural and artificial flavors and caramel color added, according to the side of the can. Uh, Comes in a 12-ounce can with a, like, Fun, uh, Forrest Gump-style smiley face uh, on the front. And <laughs> you like when he wipes
1: his face with the mud. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, and Classic. and this is definitely a, uh, a a muddy stout here, coming in at eleven percent ABV. I noticed we have it listed as a pecan mud cake. Yes, so a- according to Untapped, at least it's it's the Aeon pecan or pecan mud cake. Um, Imperial Stout, 60 IBUs, averaging 4.28 with nearly 55,000 ratings on Untapped. Ooh. Let's crack it open, and then I can maybe tell you a little bit more about this beer. Oh, I immediately, immediately get lots and lots and lots of uh, roasty, chocolatey, stouty smells filling the room. Uh, it says, rich, thick, excessively decadent. This beer aims to bring back childhood memories, it says. And the whole reason for that, according to At Least Untapped, it says, When I was 12, I dreamed of becoming a pastry chef. Call this a creative outlet. All it makes me think of is that scene in Rocket Man where uh, Fred Randall is like, Hey, Commander. Yeah. When I was a kid. At night, I used to think there was a baker under my bed. Did you ever have anything under your bed? No. Well, did you ever bend down and look? No. Well, how do you know there wasn't a baker under your bed? Handle, shut up. But it's a good good movie. That's one of my favorite movies uh, of all time. Of all time. Formulated uh, most of my childhood, uh, while this beer seems to be some sort of outlet to bring back um, Omnipolo's childhood, which is cool.
1: That's super cool.
0: I'm going to have to put that on my list now, too, for movies to watch. So, as I pour this out, I'll (laughs) bring up um, one of the, let's see, September 17th. This is an Instagram post by Omnipolo. Public announcement. Please don't drink Imperial Stout for extra energy with... uh, Eyes rolling back into your head emoji. Being copied every day, but receiving cease and desist letters weekly from trademark lawyers demanding we change the name of our beers. This one is far-fetched, but Drink Noah thinks you might mistakably purchase a bottle of our 11% pecan mud cake imperial stout instead of their energy drink Noah potions.
1: (laughs) God, Trademark law is so... So messy.
0: We are therefore changing the name of Omnipolo Noah Pecan Mud Cake registered to Omnipolo registered Aeon registered Pecan Mud Cake. Um, So it's it's kind of unfortunate. I love, though, that they just like switched the letters and you either read it on the can uh, from top to bottom or bottom to top. Uh, it, it it feels very in line with what Omnipolo would do for packaging and for a beer and just say like, you know, whatever. I there I changed the name, I just changed the letters up. What do you what do you think of that? <laughs> yeah.
1: That's good. It's a nice way to get around it. And
0: this is this is pouring real thick. I, I expect no less from Omnipolo, really. Oh my gosh. Just like deep, deep, deep color it's almost like looking at a you know a cell phone when you turn off the screen and you see nothing but yourself and you have a bit of a self-reflection moment on (laughs) a literal (laughs) self-reflection moment on like do i really need to look at this phone right now i i'm getting i'm getting a little bit of that from this beer i'm looking at a a distorted reflection of myself here um it's like a tasty funhouse mirror definitely it will get real funhouse in a bit uh chocolatey head bigger bubbles kind of uh popping up every now and then on the pretty pretty thick viscous surface here uh, of this but um it's got almost like a super deep coca-cola look to it i should say also i've had this before so as a part of sort of our uh, road to 2,500, road to elite status for me on Untapped, um, I've been trying to choose a couple beers that I've had before. And this is one I'm actually glad to revisit because I got this in a Tavor package a while back and decided, hey, I'll, you know, I'll save one or I'll drink one right now and I'll save one for later. And this is my later one. So I'm, I'm interested to see how this tastes. Um, it was stored and cellared at 55 degrees Pretty much that whole time, I just went and cooled it down to around 40 in the fridge. And, uh, hopefully, as it warms up, it will, uh, take on, you know, some more character throughout the show.
1: I don't have nearly as exciting of a story for you on this one.
0: Can I call you Eugene, maybe, throughout the whole, the whole program?
1: It might get a little confusing, but go for it. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so it pours, um, with a nice little golden, um, golden hue kind of it's not it, it's a little opaque so it's got that more like that orange gold kind of like the uh the untapped gold if you will mm. um the aroma off of it is fantastic it's um definitely you get a lot of the passion fruit and um that light sort of uh lambic sour um not in your face but it melts together you can tell you can tell that it's going to be a bit sour, but the the passion fruit's really helping kind of keep it all together. Um the it doesn't doesn't keep too much of a head on there. You get a little bit of white, but it faded away pretty fast. Um and as far as the taste goes, uh the sour level is it's pretty it's pretty low in my opinion. It hits a lot on the back of the mouth, um, not so much on the front, but I don't feel as though like I don't feel that tingling in um, you know, in your jowls there. Sure, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's not when you smile a little bit it's not like squeezing in your face or you know making you feel all, all sorts of ways.
1: Exactly. It's it's pleasant. It's a nice um it's a nice uh, sour hit with the kind of that that passion fruit aftertaste that doesn't make me pucker. It's not a sour bomb. It's it's just very pleasant um with lots of flavor packed in there. And I'm sure if you keep hearing it you can hear that it's just making me salivate some more. Yeah. So I guess it's doing its job, triggering the salivary glands. But it's uh, it's really tasty. I'm I did not keep this in the best condition. I think it sat out for a bit, went to a fridge for a bit. So it's been all over the place. Not exactly the best storage uh, setup, but I think it's held up pretty decently.
0: I think the fact that when you crack it open, you you pull out the cork, it doesn't just completely foam all over your desk is is a, good, a sign of it's probably, for the most part, okay. At least on my side. I am also surprised that the, the head has dissipated pretty quickly. Uh, flavor-wise, so I should say, I saw your reviews on iTunes and uh, Apple Podcasts. I do have glassware <laughs> for this one. Uh, so this has been poured out so I can actually see what's going on and, and get a n- nice nose full of this beer. Um, but it's so smooth, and so sweet. Uh, It it is exactly how it says on on the side of the can, right? Just excessively decadent. Um, It hides that 11% frighteningly well. It is just not too bitter, uh, not too artificially tasting. Uh, Last time I had this, I actually paired it with a pie, um, and that seemed to work really well. Where you get kind of the pecan mud cake, you get the chocolatey, you get the roasty, you've got, you know, graham cracker crust and a pie going on at the same time. Um, It feels absolutely like a dessert beer. This is a wrap-up-the-night, nightcap-style beer. Not great for 1 p.m. on a, you know, uh, Thursday afternoon, but great for this show, I think, and I really do like most Omnipolo stuff that I've had before, and uh, this is no this is no joke. One extra
1: thing to note, though, on this is um, it definitely has a lot of the tiny bubble thing going on. Um, not so much in, like, the champagne way or anything like, um, like the Brute IPA we had on the last show, but uh, using one of your favorite words, it does have that, like, effervescent sort of feel, and I can't decide if that's the tinkling of the uh sour or if it's the tiny bubbles hitting the back but either way it's mm. it's very pleasant and it just um makes me i think i have another blendery beer at home so it's just making me a little more excited to try that out
0: yeah it sounds good i I do need to get at least one of those series from uh beachwood blendery passion fruit you know what what else do they have if passion fruit in the eugene series i'm pulling it up right now uh, let's see Careful
1: with the passion fruit. Careful with the apricot.
0: Yeah, see, apricot would be so good. That, like, stone fruit.
1: Careful with that peach.
0: Mm, mm, mm.
1: Careful with that fruit salad.
0: Okay. All right.
1: Raspberry. Aprium. I think that's, uh,
0: that's about. All right, so plenty of fruits for me to try there. I I need to grab one of those. I really do.
1: How about listeners? Have you guys had either of these? Let us know what you thought on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram by tagging us at Untapped. Our friend John Holter from the Four Brewers podcast is back with some more great homebrewing tips and tricks
2: for you. Here's John with more. Hey everyone, John here from Four Brewers, and I'm back with today's homebrew tip. And today I've got a few tips on how to improve the water of your beer. The first thing you need to focus on is if you're doing uh, all grain batch of beer, you want to have the proper pH in your mash. And typically a good pH to have is 5.2. You can get this pH uh, in a couple different ways. Typically your water that you're adding uh, to the mash is higher than 5.2. It tends to be more neutral around seven. So you can add uh, either acidulated malt, To your grain bill. You can add darker malts to your grain bill because darker malts have more acid content and that'll bring down your pH. Uh, Or you can add lactic acid to your mash and test it as you go. So you'd add a couple drops to your mash, stir it in, test it with a pH meter, add more, test it until you're in that 5.2 zone. And the reason 5.2 is the lucky number when it comes to your mash pH is because it helps uh, improve the enzymatic activity that's happening in the mash. So enzymes in the grains convert the starches into sugar and that sugar is eventually what your yeast is going to consume to produce alcohol. Now having proper pH makes sure that process is efficient and thorough. It also helps with uh, extracting hop bitterness from the boil and it's good for the yeast in the finished product. so the yeast like to be in a proper pH zone. The second thing is brewing salts. Now you can go down a rabbit hole and really get into water science and what works best in certain styles of beer, but generally speaking, there's two types you have to think about. That's calcium sulfate and calcium chloride. Calcium sulfate tends to emphasize bitterness in beers. So if you're brewing like a pale ale or an IPA, you wanna stick with calcium sulfate and add a couple tablespoons to your wort. If you're doing something that's malty and dark, you want to add calcium chloride. Chlorides tend to emphasize the mouthfeel uh, of a beer and the maltiness rather than the hops. And you can add these in different proportions. You're not going to you know, be exclusive uh, to one or the other. Uh, they're all going to be in different proportions. Uh, but generally speaking, if you're going for something hoppy, you want to have more sulfates in that water. If you're going for something more malty and uh, pillowy, you want to add more chloride. Last but not least is having quality water. Now, uh, when I started brewing, I used tap water. I didn't use, you know, anything else. I didn't have a filter. I just took water straight off the tap. And if your tap water tastes good, it doesn't have like a big chlorine kind of smell or, you know, it's not really hard. You can just use that straight off the tap and you'll probably be fine. But uh, if you have water that you're kind of questioning and you don't, you're not sure, the best thing to do is run it through a carbon filter. Uh, I got my carbon filter at Home Depot. I think the filter was like 50 bucks for the enclosure and the filter. It was a whole house filter, so it's meant to be hooked up to like a one-inch uh, feed that goes into your house. But I just bought some uh, barbed ends for hoses that screw into the filter and it works great uh typically you get uh i think i got i get about 20 batches of beer out of each uh, carbon filter that i buy and it works great Uh, carbon is great for stripping uh water of funky smells and uh, flavors and it's good to just filter the water so there's physically nothing in it that you know is going to get into your beer So those are my three tips on water. Water is very complicated when it comes to brewing and you can really, really geek out on uh, your water and making sure everything is perfect and how it needs to be. But these are very general tips and uh, this is a quickie. It's not a a full-on podcast about brewing water. So uh, if you have any questions, you can hit me up at john at fourbrewers.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. You can catch more
1: from John in the whole Four Brewers podcast over at fourbrewers.com or subscribe to their show wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. Go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code podcast at checkout to get 20% off all orders. That's store.untapped.com untapped.com coupon code podcast to get 20% off All right, let's take a look at some of the interesting beer articles that we found this week.
1: Our first article is coming to us from wtmj.com. This is a radio station out of Where
0: are you? Wisconsin.
1: Yes, Wisconsin. Uh, this, I, I had to pull this because, you know, we, we always like to talk about weird and interesting beer flavors. So mm-hmm. this Wisconsin brewery just debuted a candy corn flavored ale for the fall.
0: It's perfect for today.
1: Yes, it is. Right on time for Halloween. So the Westallian Brewing Company in West Alice, Wisconsin, debuted a new beer flavor just for the fall. As the title said, this new brew is a candy
0: corn flavored ale. Which, I, I mean, have to stop you right there, Tim, because candy corn, is there really a flavor? I'm, I'm going I'm to put it to our listeners. Is candy corn really a flavor or is candy corn a texture? Can you even like one of the layers, a single layer of the candy corn more than another? Isn't it just coloring or do they have texture? Do they have flavor? Mm. What is candy corn? <laughs> <laughs> I
1: definitely, texture is a big one. Um, I love the texture of candy corn but which uh, which part of it the whole thing the whole or, thing I mean or... it's all the same texture it's just the I think the layers are just color honestly I don't mm-hmm. I've never noticed a difference in flavor but then again I've never really gone as far as dissecting it and doing a controlled tasting of each different segment
0: D- does it taste like corn
1: no it, just, does, tastes like, okay. it just tastes like okay tastes
0: like sugar. <laughs> Yeah, see, that's what that's what I thought.
1: So but it is a distinct it's a distinct candy style flavor compared to other candies.
0: And I think it has a distinct smell, maybe um, just maybe based on like the the way it's packaged and you kind of have a whole bunch of them kind of chalky kind of that like waxy texture. I don't don't know. The texture and the flavor are inextricably linked for me. Like I can't get those two away from each other.
1: Yeah, that's true. I don't get so much chalky, but it, I love that like the how it's it's chewy but not gummy. You know. Oh, I
0: like I like gummy. Give me those like shark bite style fruit snack ones. I oh, like yeah. gummy. I like chewy. I like Laffy Taffy. I like that's what I want. In my, in my candy.
1: But don't get me wrong. I'm all about the like chewy gummy stuff. Laffy Taffy, um, any sort saltwater taffy. As I'm a big like, mm. it's a weakness for me.
0: Texture is very similar. You kind of get this like grainy gritty. Anyway, we're not talking about <laughs> <laughs> taffy or chewy things here. Uh, we're talking about candy corn and we're also talking about beer more specifically. Yes indeed. So the
1: idea stemmed from a desire to discover what the sugary candy would taste like as a nice frothy beverage. So what? Well, how can how can we take candy corn to the next level? Let's just throw it in some beer uh, to make the concoction. The brewery did not simply put the candy into a cream ale, which I guess I could see that, uh, but rather they they made their own candy corn from scratch and used beer ingredients in them f- before adding them to the drink.
0: Casked with candy corn. Yeah, can you imagine one of those those uh the like. Wow, Randall's. Yes, yeah. Here we go. Randall's Just, with candy corn. With candy corn jammed in there. <laughs> I, I don't, I mean, yeah, I can imagine that. Um, Somebody's done it. But it, it's not going to be great, right? You're you're adding a lot of sugar after the fact to a an active, you know, an active beer, an active uh, beverage. That's yeah. not going to be great. So
1: how, how did they actually do it? So I found it on Untapped, and, and it basically, the description here says, we created a cream ale using lactose sugars to keep some sweetness, but added Simcoe hops to create a bit of a bite and a balance. Instead of smashing up some candy corns and throwing them into our beer, we made our own candy corn out of less beer-destructive ingredients and threw them into the beer. So basically, I think they're just throwing them in mm. with the beer when they're brewing um, this cream ale with lactose. Interesting.
0: I Boy, I wonder if, I mean, you can make the candy corn from scratch, but maybe there's something about like that candy corn process. Like they they don't need the fla- the uh, colorings in there, right? It's just you want that that sort of sugary, mashy kind of texture, uh, exactly. Just to throw that in,
1: and like as they mentioned, you know, they don't they had to figure out how to do something that was going to be uh, flavorful but not destructive to the beer, right. With the amount of sugars and stuff that they were using. Um, this does only have twenty three check ins on a tap, so obviously it is oh. brand new. Yeah, uh, but it's it's got a three point five so far at a nineteen ratings. So let's see how that goes.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm curious. I you can get real creative with some uh, some beer photos of that. You know, get get kind of the candy corn floating around and pumpkins. It
1: looks like it looks like uh, here's a picture that looks like somebody drinking at the brewery because you can see their sign in the background. But it's a nice tulip glass full of this um, very, like orangey yellow hued beer, very very clear. Um, right next to a bowl of candy corn.
0: Oh, that's cool. That's see, perfect pairing. Nice
1: job. Exactly. That's great. Um, I mean, it does sound like something that would be interesting to try, but I'm curious how it would hold up. The article does finish up by saying, while pumpkin uh, spice drinks may continue to dominate the fall, Westallian hopes you head over to test out the new and original invention before it taps out.
0: So far, so good. Uh, not not many check-ins, so ho- hopefully still available uh, when this episode goes out.
1: All right. Our next article for you comes from foodandwine.com, and it is why the majority of beer drinkers would pay over a dollar more per six-pack. Now... Uh, something I know you and I agree on and I think the industry is trending towards is sustainability and just general conservation when it comes to the beer making process. Because obviously there's there's a lot of waste and byproduct. And I feel like a lot of places that we've talked about are really starting to take measures into helping alleviate this by either you know recycling wastewater or using grains to feed or fertilize. So I thought this was really interesting because obviously doing those things does require some cost to the brewery, and um, it it puts a
0: strain on them. Well, and when you're paying $26 a four-pack, what's $1 more, right?
1: (laughs) That's exactly what crossed my mind when I read through this. Yeah. Uh, It's just basically, who in their right mind would want to pay more for beer, you might ask? Well, it turns out a lot of environmentally conscious drinkers would be happy to pay significantly more for their brews, according to a new study, assuming those beers are produced in a more sustainable manner. I, I mean, as you just said, I well, I, I would have no problem with that. We I already feel like you there's a threshold at which you're like, What okay, I'm at this point, what's a dollar more versus kind of a lower cost point where you're like, no, I want to keep this cheap. And I feel like we've already we've already reached that threshold
0: yeah i think the other part is like it helps me make better decisions on if i am someone who's socially conscious about that kind of thing i know i you know it's better to go to x brewery over y brewery because i know x uh, actually is taking steps to better themselves and produce less so that they are less environmentally impactive that's not a word but you know what I, you know what i'm saying
1: yes no i totally get it so recently published research from the Indiana University surveyed one thousand ninety five beer drinkers around the country and found that fifty nine percent of them said they'd be willing to pay more for sustainably produced beer to the tune on average of an extra twenty two cents per twelve ounce bottle or dollar thirty per six pack
0: yeah that's i mean that's nothing that's that's not bad it 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 varies so much in terms of like what a six-pack costs for a certain kind of beer and what a six-pack costs for a certain brewery, et cetera, et cetera. I think what this would need, though, is a similar labeling that we talked about last episode with the independent beer label, where it's like, this one is produced sustainably. And that way, I'm able to either look at the package or you know look on the can, the bottle, and be able to make a decision that way.
1: I think that that's a great idea. I mean, granted, you have to throw another... Symbol or icon Another one. onto your label. But I do like that, yeah. um, being able to know or some sort of a way to know that they are. Um, the authors of the uh, research, uh, they did say the takeaway for the brewing industry is that it is financially feasible to introduce energy-saving practices into the brewing process. Um, sustainability has become a big issue in the beer world with breweries looking for ways to use less energy and waste less water, which, I mean, we've covered quite a few um, stories about this, from the uh, re- the biodegradable six pack holder to the uh, usage of grains to feed seafood that would then be served in the restaurant, to recycling the water. So there are so many ways that you know
0: people are starting to do this, and it's really good to see. To using the 77 pack for furniture. I mean, we're you're really covering <laughs> all your bases there, right? Yeah,
1: for sure. Um, for example, Anheuser-Busch InBev uh, has been working on producing beer at lower temperatures. And Miller Coors has promised to cut its water use by 17%. But uh, even smaller breweries have committed to solutions like adding solar panels or looking for ways to reclaim wastewater. So it's across the board. It's, it's not just you know either the big companies looking for PR moves or the small companies trying to you know, better themselves. Everybody needs to be a part of this in order for it to work.
0: It's true. It can kind of work both ways, though. It's like the big, big beer brands will kind of dominate that and say, like, hey, guys, we're we're doing it. You should be able to as well um, or vice versa, where the small beer brands are undercutting the big beer brands by saying, like, hey, on my packaging, this is a 100 percent sustainable product. Um, you need to get on board or you're going to be left behind. You're going to seem like you're you're the ones polluting the earth rather than, you know, than <laughs> yeah. us.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, interestingly enough, the study also found that the kind of beer people preferred had little impact on their willingness to pay for s- sustainability.
0: Interesting.
1: So whether whether it does say, um, uh, consumers of traditional American lagers think you know Budweiser cores were as likely to be willing to pay more as those who prefer craft beers. I,
0: I I love a study like this that that helps put that in perspective. It's not just us craft beer nerds, right? It's it's anyone.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's the beer world as a whole, uh, no right. matter what you enjoy. And so it, it actually, it turns out being environmentally friendly might be one thing that beer drinkers can agree on. Cheers to that. Yes, indeed. Next up, we have an article from TheGuardian.com. High hops. New Zealand ministry pumps millions into craft beer. They've got high hops. They've got.
0: Hi. <laughs> okay I was, I was waiting for someone to sing it, and I didn't think it would be you, but uh I appreciate that
1: <laughs> oh yeah well i'm trying to I had to try and uh, beat you to it i guess
0: <laughs> channel your your inner um boy, what's that even from? I have no idea oh my goodness, I know why I know it the goofy movie I hopes, he's got, I hopes, he's oh Sky! We've pretty much hit like two-thirds of the movies that I would watch in an instant. Rocketman and Goofy movie. So, all right. Check. So, bureaucrats in New Zealand
1: have decided to get into the craft beer game, contributing millions to help the industry develop its own unique kiwi hops flavor. The Ministry of Primary Industries wants to develop a super premium hops... Uh, and craft beer in an attempt to emulate New Zealand's success with wines such as Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Noir.
0: And there are New Zealand-specific, uh, exclusive hops that have made it at least to the United States. I know here we, we've we got a few beers that are like, hey, New Zealand hops, you know.
1: There are, but it's It's few and far between, it seems like, Uh, you know, only a really, 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 only a really small quantity of hops actually grown in New Zealand, make it to other markets. And I mean, that makes sense, especially if you want to get it fresh, or you want to use it right away. That sort of transit across the ocean is it's not as uh, viable. As, you know, just going over to Yakima Poland Maffa in Washington. I
0: think one of the ones that we probably get here the most is Garage Project. And yes, likely a lot of the hops that they're dealing with in their beers are from that area. The
1: aim of the research from this whole uh, grant basically is to create new varieties and crossbreeds of hops that will be identifiably Kiwi from the first sip. So basically... They want you to have a beer and taste it and be like, "Hey, this is a New Zealand hop," similar to how mm-hmm. we feel about you know some of the standard um, American hops,
0: right? Kind of, kind of how we feel about um, even like a West Coast, right? Where you taste it and you're like, "Oh man," you know, blast you in the face with with the bitterness and um, the the hops that are typically used in West Coast beers. Yeah,
1: that's that's precisely what they're going for. So New Zealand does have a thriving craft beer scene with about 200 companies in operation. Uh, the number has actually increased by 300% in the last decade. That's wow. That is a lot. One such um, brewery that I'm pretty familiar with is Epic Beer, uh, which is out of New Zealand. Um, they make some pretty fantastic stuff. Um, Luke Nicholas is their uh, founder. Um, I, I've actually met him here in California and... Um, One of uh, my friends and moderators uh, who was a pilot, he would fly fresh epic from New Zealand straight to Los Angeles and divvy it out some of us here in the L.A. beer scene. It was amazing. Hop Zombie is one that they make, and it's still one of my all-time favorite IPAs.
0: Yeah, I would also, uh, like I said before, I would add Garage Project to that list of um, places that are doing a lot of beer that you can at least get here in the U.S. Uh, They actually do have a West Coast Ultra Dry IPA. Kind of like in in the vein of um, the beer that we had last episode. Uh, they also for this beer and I guess for all their beers on their website reference Untapped check ins, which is kind of cool. They said uh, Nigel on Untapped says much bigger hops than I recall and so much better than the previous occupant of my glass, <laughs> which is <laughs> which is really cool. Um, so Garage Project is one I'm I'm well aware of. One I haven't been able to try, but I've been following on Instagram for a long time is new 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 uh they are a brewery out of new zealand uh if you go to new new new.nz, um it's a cat their branding is very cool uh if you've never heard of them go check them out and i don't know the beer from new zealand i guess is on on our list of of places to uh to get more beers from
1: our last article today comes from Cotswoldjournal.co.uk and keeping with the uh, theme that we've just started with countries and their ever-growing craft beer scene, thirst for craft beer boosts number of Scottish breweries.
0: Now, I'm far less familiar with Scottish breweries. I probably know the big ones, um, but yeah, not not as familiar.
1: Yeah, well, speaking, you know, a of, of big Scottish breweries that people would probably recognize. I think BrewDog is at the top of the list there.
0: Yeah, yeah, most definitely. At least, especially for ones that we can get here, they've got their whole network going on. They've got their TV show. Um, that's that's. They've got their hotel. Hotel. That's the one I'm most familiar with. Yeah, that's that's
1: for sure. Um, but there are obviously quite a few others. Uh, The number of breweries in Scotland has increased by almost 230% since uh, 2010, thanks in part to drinkers growing taste for craft beers. That sounds very familiar for uh, pretty much everywhere in the world, it seems like.
0: Yeah, especially, especially Europe right now. In 1970,
1: there were 11 breweries in Scotland, but a new report from the Independent Scottish Parliament Information Centre said that the number has increased massively. There are now one.
0: Don't roll over the fact that that acronym is Spice.
1: <laughs> I was trying to by- bypass that, but yeah, okay. It's Scottish it's Parliament so Information good. Center, the Spice.
0: All my 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 Dune uh, references are just being bottled up right now and trying just <laughs> urging their way out.
1: Uh, according to Spice, there are now 115 breweries across the country. Uh, of which more than four-fifths are microbreweries. They also say that Scotland's craft breweries have flourished over recent years with a plethora of new breweries entering the market, as you would expect with the numbers going up. Uh, Year-on-year over the period of 2010 to 2018, the number of breweries has increased... This rapid period of expansion has resulted in beer manufacturing business base increasing by 229% over the eight-year period. Sorry for repeating things that we already said, but uh, that is how this article ran. In addition, there are more than 60 distilleries producing um, gin in Scotland with more than 110 varieties of Scottish gin available. I had no idea that was that much.
0: Interesting, though. It sounds like oh, overall the... Uh probably economy and culture and things like that are kind of moving towards the uh, going out more, drinking more, things like that. So it's not, it, thankfully, both, you know, beer, spirits, both um, taking advantage of this and being able to uh, to grow.
1: Yes, indeed. And I mean, there's the research also did say that there are 128 malt and grain distilleries in Scotland as well, and giving the country the largest concentration of whiskey producers in the world. So that
0: that's to be expected but that's amazing yeah makes sense all right show notes are available at podcast.untapped.com and if you've got any questions for us be sure to send us your feedback on twitter facebook and instagram it's at untapped everywhere and if you have a moment head over to apple podcasts and give our show a nice big five-star rating or
1: go ahead and write a review we are always reading and always trying to take uh, your feedback into consideration uh, thanks for hanging in there for these three pre-recorded shorter shows. Um, we will be back to it on a normal uh, recording schedule starting in November.
0: So excited to get back to that. I'm also very excited that this show was pretty short because 11% is really getting to me. So until next week. Cheers. Cheers.